Greetings, everyone. Greetings. It's Danny Hai Fong for another episode of Cold War Brew. I know it's a little later in the day, at least in my part of the world. Um, but, you know, I know all of you are caffeine addicted and desensitized. So no matter, no matter the time, it is always good to get brewing about the Cold War. Nonetheless, I wanted to have this call-in with all of you, and uh, I was just live talking about a few things. I was talking about Roe v. Wade and how Democrats, especially Democratic Party loyalists, the establishment, they have blamed Susan Sarandon, they've blamed... um, Oh, you know, they've even gone so far to blame Katie Halper and folks like that for merely criticizing the Democratic Party. So that is, I think, very troubling. And so, uh, you know, my my last stream was about that. And then, of course, I also talked about um, capitalism in crisis because that's what's going on right now with the inflation and and all of that. Um, and tomorrow I'm having Richard Wolf on at 4 p.m. Eastern on the left lens to talk more about the economics of the situation. And so, yeah, I'm here to take your questions, though. I definitely want to keep this about the discussion today. I have about 45 minutes, so definitely get in the queue. I'll be on with you all until that 6.30, uh, what am I saying, about 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. I already got one caller in the queue. It's Shelly. Um, but, and I'll let Shelly in and then we can have a conversation today. All right. Um, about the Roe v. Wade reaction. If you missed the live stream, I can go into that a bit, but definitely want to hear questions first. So I'm going to let Shelly, um, who's in the queue now speak. Um, I do ask for comments because I know some folks like to do comments. Uh, please do keep those within a couple minutes, two minutes tops, just because I have some folks, some loyal listeners to Cold War Brew who do call in and take a bit longer. So I'm trying to enforce a little bit of a rule about comments uh, because I would like to have a conversation so we can do it back and forth. I do let people back in. I do let them back in to respond to anything I've said. Um, so anyway, Shelly, I am making you the next caller. Hello. Hello. Hi, Danny. I'm so excited that I'm finally catching you live. Yeah, I remember you were on uh, Katie's program when I was yeah, on with Breeze her, correct? program on the call-in show. Oh, Breeze program. Okay, okay. Good. Yeah, good. with Matt yes. Solar. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a great time. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that was super fun. And I, I definitely mm-hmm. kind of... I don't know. I was not expecting Matt Stoller to be on. And then she like let him on like right before she let me speak. And so I was obviously, I, I mean, I had a little bit of a temper. I don't know if I made your job harder. <laughs> no, it made it easier because you, you oh. made all the points that I wanted to make. So, <laughs> okay, good, good. but, uh, but yeah, um, good, good for, to be here with you. Thanks for coming. Yeah. yeah so basically some of it, my comments or my questions aren't necessarily about the Roe versus Wade thing, just because it's been so long since I've been able to actually catch you. Um, but one of the things it's, it's just like a general, I want your opinion about the Western left because it seems like in all of these like call-in shows or on the podcast space or anything like that, it's like the same group of Western leftists that kind of identify them. So like, we spend a whole lot of time talking about like racism and, and sexism and all that other type of stuff. But when it comes to discussions about actually existing like socialist countries, there just kind of seems to be a level of like hypocrisy that goes really unnoticed by the very same people that kind of place themselves in the position to be the vanguard against racism. And I was wondering um, how much you would attribute that to something like either just projection, just being brainwashed by propaganda or essentially social chauvinism. Yeah. Well, first I would like, do you have a particular example? Because I I definitely understand the broader phenomenon, but I don't know if something's happened or if there's been a particular event or situation that uh, comes to mind. No, nothing in particular. I think a lot of, I think just maybe in general, and it kind of goes to another question that I wanted to ask you, is that there often seems to be a lot of 
oh, you know, authoritarianism, you know, that term gets kind of mm. thrown around mm -hmm. a whole lot and they go, well, that's not at all. Like even some people that are kind of might semi defend um, like Cuba or China or Venezuela or places like that, they go, well, that, it's terrible. Their government's not great, but at least they're trying. And they kind of, they kind of situated in a way that's kind of like, well, those are authoritarian and, you know, we believe in democracy here. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that type of stuff. And gotcha. I mean, I don't know, you know. Yeah. No, I mean, this is a broad problem. I, you mentioned actually existing socialist countries. It's very, I mean, this is a very important question for me because I feel like they aren't spoken about really at all. I, I mean, it, what's so interesting, I find that we're in this moment with Russia, Ukraine, and this multipolar world, and China is, you know, a huge country, socialist government, socialist government system, economic base, and, and we don't talk about it that often. And when we do, we run into what you're saying, Shelley, we run into a lot of just prejudices, right? Just things that we've heard generally from the mainstream media, generally from the corporate media. I mean, I, I would go so far as to say that most of the knowledge we get from the Western left about China is just talking points that we've heard from mainstream media, corporate media, or the political establishment, the, the foreign policy establishment. That's generally where the information is coming from. And there is, I think, an interesting trend that you have observed where even forces, and we could say much of the liberal left is like this. The vast majority of the liberal left is like this, where they will virtue signal. They'll talk about black lives matter to say they're anti-racist. They say they're against sexism. They say they're against patriarchy. They're against all sorts of things. They'll even say they're against capitalism. But then when you bring up China or Cuba or really, you know, the, the topic of this program is Cold War. So really targets of, of the Cold War, when you bring up countries trying to figure out a new economic and political system like socialism, the response generally is, oh, well, those countries are authoritarian. They're dictatorships. They're brutal they're worse than the united states they're not democratic and we love democracy like that and i feel like that's one chauvinism i i think that that is definitely a part of this this idea that the united there is nothing there is no framework outside of the united states to really work with or unless it's western unless it's european i mean you know you have a lot of the left that is willing to talk about social democracy and Right? Uh, can we be more like New Zealand or something like that? Right? Can we have universal health care? Uh, can we be more like Norway or Denmark? Uh, you will hear that, and I think that's the influence of the Bernie Sanders trend and of uh, social democracy in general. And so chauvinism is really wrapped in there. And then I think a big part of this is the fact that the the information that people are getting is wrapped in with the chauvinism. It's it, it's coming straight from the foreign policy establishment. It's coming straight from the U.S. and Western political establishment. And so we can't have good conversations about what really are, I think, maybe the most pressing questions of imperialism and foreign policy and peace and, and, and even just economic development and political development as a whole because there is such a prejudice against, there is such a chauvinistic tendency to look at socialist countries uh, like China, especially like Cuba, like the DPRK as being these kind of inherently uh, abhorrent countries that, you, that, that we have nothing to learn from and we really shouldn't have anything to do with. And that even prevents these same forces from opposing sanctions and opposing militarism. Mm -hmm. Because if anything, that's what I would like for the Western left. That's what I would like for them to do at bare minimum. Uh, and I think that's mm -hmm. kind of a prerequisite for me even being able to understand socialism and socialist countries and that history. Yeah, I agree. And and that me talking about like the authoritarian concept that that was kind of the other question that I wanted your opinion on. 
it also seems to me like that word is just thrown around just so randomly, you know, authoritarian, whatever. But then I think about like Frederick Ingalls on authority essay when, where he says like every government's authoritarian. And then I think like, why, why is it that the Western left does not realize that the United States government is the most authoritarian government in the world? It has been conducting regime change operation, launching wars of aggression. Um, they're, they're basically keeping Julian Assange, a non-American citizen, and they're trying him for essentially what's treason. I can't imagine a more authoritarian government that exists in the world than the United States government. Yeah. No, I mean, what you're saying is 100% true. And it's a huge problem that we face. And and that's, I mean, I started out, I didn't start out, but when I published my book on American exceptionalism in 2019, I mean, that's where I was at. I mean, I was writing it for a good chunk of 2018 as well. And that's where I was. I, I was infuriated by you know, Russiagate and by the Obama era and by what seemed to be an escalation of American exceptionalism, like American exceptionalism on steroids, that even as there was a growing dissatisfaction with the way that the United States was conducting itself, especially economically in the United States, there still was such a widespread forgetfulness, ignoring, and just the general apathy about what the United States was doing abroad, how it was building and expanding its empire, and how it was putting us in the situation that we're in now, where there is a huge risk for confrontation with Russia and China. And so, yeah, no, I mean, this term authoritarianism, it's a a byproduct of the Cold War. It is all about denigrating any country, any people, any, any, you know, any movement that is attempting to actually assert power, right? Because this is a power struggle and this is all about the question of power. And that is what the U.S. ruling class wants people to avoid. They want workers, they want progressives, they want leftists to avoid the question of power. Don't look at how governments and how countries and governments are asserting power over capital. Don't look at that because what you should be looking at in their opinion is anything and everything but. So you can you know you can flirt with your social democracy. You'll never get it. They know it. We know it. You'll never get it in a situation uh, that we're in now without some kind of assertion of political power among uh, those among the masses of people. And so, examples like even Nicaragua or China or or uh, 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 or even the DPRK to go so far. I mean, those are real assertions of power for all the consequences that these countries have had to endure because of it. All of the reactionary uh, assaults on their very existence. Nonetheless, that's the political project, and and it really is an outgrowth of something that's been going on for more than a century, which is anytime socialism arises on the world stage, beginning with the Soviet Union, and you mentioned on authority by Engels, uh, Lenin, during right as the Soviet Union was emerging, he wrote State and Revolution and talked about the character of the state and how the state in any society, any social order is always going to be about the oppression of one class by another as long as we are talking from the standpoint of private property. If there's a government that has arisen, a state that has arisen out of the relations of any kind of private property, feudalism, slavery, whatever, you're going to have the oppression of one class by another. And under socialism, you're going to have to do some oppressing too because you have inherited a situation where you had a a ruling class, a minority of the population in control of the vast majority of wealth doing that to you and doing so with, uh, with no intention of giving up power peacefully. So that is really what, what I think is at issue with this authoritarianism question. It's not 
that these countries are just, you know, suppressing their own people for the sake of doing it, that they're just so genocidal and completely out of touch with humanity. It's that they're living in a situation where they are trying to keep political power for the majority of people over a tiny minority that if we knew anything about history in China, history of Cuba, history of any socialist experiment, there's always been an incredible backlash. Look at the Bay of Pigs. Look at, um, you know, uh, uh, what happened directly after the Chinese Revolution in 1949. There was always a response. There was always an attempt from imperialists and uh, from their collaborators to try to undo the revolution. And, and so authoritarianism, uh, in a lot of respects, this word, is and there's a lot of good people that are using it in other contexts, right? Exactly what you said, Shelley, with Julian Assange and what the US government is doing, <clears throat> the repression, the incredible violence, the state violence. But its roots do come from and where people pick up the term is not from progressive and leftist spaces. They pick it up from the foreign policy establishment, they pick it up from the political establishment, they pick it up from the mainstream media in reference to uh, these actually existing socialist countries, which are trying to find their own way and survive in a very hostile world. But Shelly, I am actually going to move to, yeah, yeah. I'm going to move to James. And if you do want to come back, um, if there's, you know, um, no one in the queue, uh, yeah, definitely do. And we can keep talking, but I'm going to move to James now. Um, Hey, James. Hey, thanks for calling. Um, yeah, I just uh, wanted to uh, maybe point out the systemic lies that exist within the system, like that sheet that you dropped earlier on the show, showing the percentages of increases in the you know the cost of living, the rent, a lot of that, all those lies that they put up there, mm-hmm. because it was it wasn't even a dozen years ago they shifted the poverty standards, tied them to something unrelated to reality and that's why only 20 percent of us are in poverty now but 80 percent of the children uh is 60 percent of this country has been in poverty since the 70s nothing's changed you know so i mean i'm just giving you on the ground where i'm at the homeless populations are exploding and that's just uh remnants from 08 this this new wave that's coming the seizures and everything else i mean everybody's armed it's crazy but as far as uh, I just wanted to make a point on uh, the abortion issue, mm-hmm. that in the Jewish faith, it's been legal for over 2,000 years. Says in the Talmud, if another man lays upon your wife, feed her bitter herbs to drop his seed. So it's, it's always been with us. It's part of every culture around the world, you know? And unfortunately, in a lot of places, they blame the woman or the young girl for it happening to her, you know, when it's 99% rapes by people with power over them, you know? So I just, um, you know, it's always been there as an out to not be attached to your abuser, you know? So I, I just, I mean, I, I'm a product of some you know, vicious history. So I, yeah, I'm trying to find my way back to me for a long time, baby. But, um, yeah, I just want to say a couple of things, you know, I mean, the, the lies will never end. If you want to find some peace, head east, because <laughs> <laughs> this place is going to be on fire about two minutes after Europe lights up. And, um, you know, there's nothing anybody can do about it. It's, it's what they're coordinating. You know, they want they want absolute chaos in this country so that they can drop the boot on everything. Right. They've been setting the stage ever since uh, that fake ass January 6th stuff. You know, and this left right crap, it's it's only ever a top down. But I mean that's that's you guys are all aware. I mean <laughs> I just uh I try to take your stuff and bring it over to Lee Camp and, and his stuff and bring it over to you know what I mean? There's there is a great global community. Um I get a lot of wonderful information from CGTN. And when Hu Ji Jin says you you, you should listen <laughs> That guy, I wouldn't want to mess with him. And I'm probably five times bigger. <laughs> but he, he 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 ain't faking, he ain't bluffing. Just just like the Russians don't bluff. This is you're talking about these are, are real people in real countries. 
not this this fantasy land created around capital. I love that. I love that one page you put up uh, on Stalin uh, referring to Lenin and how uh, democracy is the smallest uh, shell that can contain capitalism to enslave everyone. I mean, that part wasn't in a sentence, but you know what I mean? It's just, uh, I mean, this stuff has been talked about and recognized for hundreds of years. You know, I mean, it's the reason we based our legal system on the British naval um, military <laughs> criminal justice system when they were a full empire. That's that was our model. And we and we took it to a whole next level. You know, they're, they're, they're just not even going to bother with fences and walls anymore. It's just going to be, you know, I mean, look, there's a there's a. 200,000 strong private army run by Eric Prince. And I'm pretty sure he has nukes too, you know, but there's, I mean, in this country, we're, we're, we're not looking at happy sunshine of rainbows. This, this is, this is going to get so ugly. This is why uh, coordination and cooperation and communities and outreach and just everybody growing their own food. You know, it's, it's, you know, you, you do the tomatoes, I'll do the flowers, you do the cucumbers. But uh, it's just crazy, you know, that, that it become necessary for us to be human and, and join the rest of the world yeah. under the under the same boot, you know. Yeah. I mean, we've always been here and there's never an answer because if you try violence, you get crushed and then they, they take another million and lock you up. I mean, they, they burned Philadelphia down to shut right. down the practice. And, and the cops uh, wouldn't let the firefighters in, you know. And, and this, this is just 20 years ago. There's, we, we are today in this country still doing forced sterilization mm-hmm. on women in prison, on all the immigrants, on whoever the hell they want to do. And look at the stuff Fauci's been getting away with for 50 years. This whole thing is some crazy fascist science experiment, you know. And it's, it's everybody's head's full of such crazy propaganda. That's why half of the people I listen to on the left, they'll be on a great point. But then, damn, if their head ain't full of crap with the propaganda following it up, it's like you got to like, you know, there's a few. I don't want to I don't want to name names. You know what I mean? But we all know who they are. You know, it's, it's the people I don't follow. Anymore. But well, thanks. I mean, just trying to find yeah. now. I'm. I mean, you're you're true, but man, I want to send you and Lee Camp to China, man. You guys, yeah, yeah, no, I would love to go with China. You'll never come back, dude. (laughs) You know what? Let's start a GoFundMe. Let's get Lee because you guys both need a break, right? And and you need to 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 know what you're fighting for. Just be be among the people, man. This there's so many wonderful things going on in Asia and Africa, and, and you know, it's it's just. You know, I'm I'm just I'm just happy that uh, the people of the world are standing up against uh, this evil goddamn empire and all these bullies, fascists and banks. I mean, fascism is a marriage of corporation and government. We've been a fascist state since our foundation, just like the terrorist states of Israel. And you can never find that video. It's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. I tried showing it to people and I said, where the hell did it go? I mean, it was a well, famous speech available since I was a kid. Well, I appreciate you calling in, James. Um, yeah. It's yeah, no, you make really good points. Um, but yeah, like uh, when you said it talked about Lee Camp, uh, no, I would love to travel with Lee Camp. I mean, I definitely have plans in the near future to go back to China. Uh, it never is long enough, though. So, hoping to definitely continue to save up for a longer trip, especially. When you know what would be hilarious. Oh, get the two of you on CGTN just to <laughs> give that one finger salute to us from over there. No, I mean now with the, I mean you know I have I have content CGTN Global Times and other places and it yeah, just you know I've I've built connections out there you know both with oh, yeah. the ex both with like the ex there's some expats you know Daniel Dumbrill and. Jerry Gray and uh, you know Jing Jing Lee, who's not an expat, of course, but you know I just know these folks, and so it would be very interesting to definitely do a comprehensive like media project while in China, yeah. rather than just yeah, going or going back. Yeah, 
You know what I mean? Totally. That would incredibly make funny. movies quick and cheap, you know what I mean? Yeah, they're good. They're ta- they're both talented, very talented. Yeah. Folks. Man, you know, but then it's, you know, they got like the the background like me is just, you know. <laughs> it, it's you just not you got like all the information, you know what I mean? You yeah. check everybody with facts. It's like nobody can argue with you. That's like Man, I there's, there's a lot of hate out there on you. Ooh, all time yeah. You wonder <laughs> why your computer's running slow? <laughs> yeah, no, my laptop is not. I just woke up to it. To, you know, I got back after not using it for a few days, and it is not doing good. So i got to figure yeah, that out. You but, plug it in, it starts cooking like an oven. Like it, it takes uh, 20 minutes for a keystroke to enter, and you reset it, restart it, unplug it, change it back. And still, all of those trackers and bots are right back in. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you coming on, James. I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna uh, move on and see. I don't see anyone else in the queue, but I'm gonna give some commentary, and then you know, if people want to jump back in, definitely uh, do so. But appreciate you coming through. My pleasure, Danny. Thank yeah, you, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, please do keep coming in the queue. Uh, any discussion, questions, anything that you have, please do. But um, yeah, no, I mean, these are all great. I mean, look. Part of why I do this work, why I'm here on Colin, uh, why I try to actually build up some kind of monetary uh, foundation through the work that I do is one, I think that we should all be compensated for our labor. But two, I do have these ideas that James even was just floating. I have been in conversations with many people. Pandemic has made things extremely, especially going so far, um, you know, to China or Vietnam, which is also another place I want to go to, DPRK, another place I want to go to. But the coordination with the pandemic has been absolutely nightmarish. So it's a lot of waiting. But nonetheless, I mean, it's super expensive. Look at the crisis we're in now economically. Uh, It was expensive before this exploded. Um, And as, I mean, James made a lot of really great points about the economic situation always being really terrible like absolutely horrific um especially since 2008 and i say this all the time after the 2008 economic crisis the u.s capitalist economy did not get back to its size and scope of pre-2007-2008 it has remained a smaller economy it has remained a, 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 a stagnant economy and as I said in the stream today, a take-all economy. So that's the situation we face when it comes with capitalism. It's capitalism in crisis, and we could call it a permanent crisis, not only because the conditions, and I'm going to get to the callers. I see a couple, uh, Amanda and Anthony, so I'm going to get to you in a second. But it's not just that there is, and it always has been, a situation of, massive impoverishment risks, you know, just the precariousness of working people in general getting worse and worse. It's also that the mechanics of capitalism are in constant state of stagnation. I read, I was reading the business insider article where in the stream where they talk about wage price spiral. I mean, that's literally, literally what they were describing there was just the, intention of capital to continue to increase the rate of exploitation and the rate of surplus value accumulation in order to uh, uh, kind of run away from the fundamental contradictions of the system, which is that right now you have a situation where you have such an immense amount of poverty and such a glut in in production that they are predicting that the only way to resolve it is through economic crisis. And that's how capitalism always resolves its contradictions. And it only makes them worse. So Amanda and then Anthony. Amanda, I'm making you the next caller. Hi. Hey. How are you doing today? Good, good. How about um, you? Not too bad. My, can you hear me okay? I can hear you. I, I'm... Just ha- was curious um, that this Roe v. Wade and some of the other rulings that have come out of the Supreme Court seems like is going to maybe force states 
to bolster their protections for citizens and and we're going to get less protection from the federal government for our rights do you see that starting to pull states into different in different directions in terms of not having a homogenous kind of federal set of protections i'm just curious if that's something that you've thought about yeah yeah well thanks amanda um yes I, it's kind of, I mean, it's happening, right? I think you had over 20 states that already had uh, ready to go the desire, right? They already had ready to go the elimination of abortion protections and rights. Um, a lot of them being in the middle and south of the country. And now you have, I think California now has Gavin Newsom. He said he was going to uh, sort of codify abortion rights so they would be protected in the state. So I think that and this is kind of the spirit of the ruling. What's very interesting about that is that the spirit of the ruling is to make this a state's right issues. I mean that's what a lot of the most reactionary uh, uh, political decisions that happen in the court are kind of about. It's about getting rid of any kind of federal regulation especially of capital. And I think this also has to do with capital, right? Um, there is a lot of cost savings that are being thought about when it comes to the abortion issue. There's a lot of kind of grander schemes about keeping the U.S. healthcare system the corporate nightmare that it is. And, and abortion is just one of these issues where it, it intersects and it relates to, I guess you could call it cultural, but I don't like to use that term in this respect, but it gets into other aspects of power and domination uh, when it comes to sex and gender and sexuality, right? Uh, you heard what uh, Clarence Thomas said. He, he wants to go after it all. I mean, he named contraceptives. There's just nothing more explicit about it than saying, yeah, we got to loop in contraceptives here. We got to make that something that isn't cover you know what 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 could possibly be the ruling there about contraceptives you're not going to ban them socially but what you could do is have rulings that would make it a lot harder for people to access them which would then kick into high gear the role of private capital in administering them which then means more profits for corporations and, and that that is kind of this feedback loop cycle that is i think really at heart, heart here in I think it's happening. I think you'll have a lot of the coastal states, right? The, the, because you call them liberal states that will, because they have to, because their constituents demand it, they will attempt to, um, save their behinds and, and try to codify abortions. You'll have a, a, a two tier th- or maybe a multiple tier system in the United States, which will make things more confusing, more difficult. You even see things. I find this fascinating. Employers, corporations like Dick Sporting Goods, they are so, like giving stipends for people who need to travel outside of their respective state. If they work for Dick Sporting Goods to get an abortion, they'll float you $3,000. What I find very interesting about this, and I think this might become government policy uh, too at some level, right? Let's say you have a certain, dis- you know, um, Maybe local governments might do this within states that are banning or or restricting abortions. What I find so interesting about that is it's another way of it, it makes the system even more confusing, more deregulated, more privatized, more uh, atomized, and and that's by design. And so I definitely think that this is going to happen. And I think part of the reason why it's happening in this way is because the opposition to the assault is in, at least in in terms of leadership, because there are a lot of good people who are going out into the streets. I was out there here in the city at Washington Square Park on Friday and, you know, a lot of good people. I know a lot of people who were there, genuine, who really want to see, uh, people protected, see women protected, see mothers, parents, families protected. And that's not the leadership of of the so-called opposition to the ruling. The leadership who has the power, the Democratic Party establishment, the liberal establishment, 
they like to take shortcuts and they'll take any shortcuts that will make it easier for them politically uh, at all side on all levels and at all sides. So, so I think it'll, it'll end up being a very unfortunate outcome of this that will be easy to blame on those who administer the ruling, the conservative Supreme court and the push of the Christian right and the, the Republicans, the GOP. And I think not enough attention will be paid to how the Democratic Party helped also lay the foundations for this. Um, but Anthony, I'm going to make you the next caller. Hello. Hey, thank you so much, Danny. No problem. Uh, I was interested in the um, story that was about the Fed, uh, Federal Reserve raising uh, interest rates. And, um, you know, just, I don't know, it's probably not going to help inflation. I don't know. I, I just get the sense. I don't really have the nuts and bolts reason behind that. And, um, but I just think it's a, it's a crazy institution. Like the, the fed, I mean, that's kind of sounds silly, but maybe just on a slogan hearing basis, that's one thing I could get behind with the, so like a Ron Paul kind of libertarian is yeah. And the fed or whatever. <laughs> like, um, it's, you know, the way it's formed right now, I, I'm not saying there shouldn't be a central bank, but then uh, also the Fed right now, it looks like they're trying to create a central bank digital currency and everyone in the Democratic Party is on board with that. I was watching a financial house committee here in the other day, and so they're all on board with that. I don't think that's going to be very good for like censorship and whatnot. But I don't know. There's something about just our money. And the it, I mean, it literally says Federal Reserve note on the money. I mean, we have to use it because everyone just accepts it. But there's something about it. They can always inflate that money faster than, uh, you know, you can try to raise the wage. And they, they, I don't know. There's something about it. We got to figure out an alternative in in the meantime from establishing, you know, something socialist. Yeah. Oh, well, you mentioned the Federal Reserve. I mean, it is it's peculiar. It is it is certainly, you know, it is a problem because it is. Uh, I mean, the Federal Reserve is one of the few. Most, I mean, most central banks in under capitalist countries are just, you know, serving the diktats of finance capital. Um, but the United States is very peculiar in the sense that its central bank doesn't even have the veneer of being a, 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 a sort of like a state bank, like a national. It actually is controlled almost entirely privately. It is, it's some kind of. It's like a public-private partnership, they call it, but it it really is sort of just a mechanism of of of, of finance capital inside of the government. It's that's different, even than most countries, um, even though it's very arguable and true that most central banks, because of the U.S. dominance and the way that the United States and finance capital is, they're mostly controlled by finance, but the United States is very peculiar and it, and, it, and it is to say that with that dynamic, we see just the results of that play out over and over and over again, especially over the last, what has it been, 14 years since 2007, 2008. It's just one, it's just one bailout after another, after another. It's just a slush fund at this point for yeah, just like a money. It's just a money. It's just a money grab. Print, print all the money you can to to bail out banks, not just any banks, but to bail out uh, those big banks, big privately owned banks, monopolies that are um, creating the crisis. And it's just over and over and over again, and we're seeing it again. And they're getting ready now. Business Insider, as you said, you know, from the stream, they are literally saying they're talking to billionaire investors and they're telling them that this is what's going to have to happen to rectify the situation. And that's basically them saying, no, this is what they want to happen. So they don't have to do anything in the way of investment or or to pay back or to do anything that would stabilize things through some kind of accountability structure, even a modest one. They're saying, no, 
let's just let's just slash and dash and, and they'll get bailed out they know it they know that the federal reserve will just bail them out they know that Biden administration will sign that check um every single time so so you're right there does need to be discussion about that big time about that dynamic cuz it's it's one that needs to be you know short of a social revolution needs to be on the political agenda needs to be on the program we can't just ignore the fact that this is happening over and over and over again. And it speaks to a huge problem uh, that we're facing, even in just talking about the things that we need at at a very basic political level. Um, So there's one more call in the queue though. Uh, So Anthony, um, I'm going to get, I'm going to get them. And then if you have a response, anybody who's called and has a response, I think Derek might be the last original call and then i'll take any if anyone has a response um to what i've been saying please uh come back but uh, you're the next caller derek hey thanks no problem um i i don't think uh progressives slash leftists uh, will be taking anything seriously until they at least consider strongly uh, the option of infiltrating the Libertarian Party in order to effect change. I'm curious um, what you might think of that, what anyone else might think of that, and that's all. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, I would love to know... I mean, I've never tried this. I certainly do know Libertarians. Um, It would be, I think that of course there needs to be struggle with the libertarians and that could take many forms. It doesn't just have to be, okay, we're just berating them on the things we disagree with. It could also be folks who are genuine leftists uh, of us, you know, maybe libertarian, the libertarian party. And this could be true in some places. Maybe the libertarian party is the most prominent third party, so to speak, or alternative to the duopoly, so to speak in your area. That could very well be true. So then how do you get in and struggle with them on issues that there are disagreements with while also coming together on things that we agree with? I definitely have no problem with that. I <laughs> I certainly have had my negative experiences with people in the Libertarian Party. It, I, most of it comes from, I, I think, just... I mean, I traveled to China with some folks who were definitely libertarians in the Libertarian Party. I, um, in um, anti-war circles, certainly libertarians are definitely prominent in there. And so I've definitely had my run-ins. Um, but nonetheless, they are there. And I think that it's it's a worthy idea to even just raise the contradiction. It doesn't necessarily have to be, I mean, sometimes the Libertarian Party has to be called out publicly because some of the things that they say and do can be very questionable. But I think at a more grassroots level, if that is the alternative party and there are, there are issues more on Syria and mass incarceration that there is agreement with, then how do we both unite on that while also engaging in some kind of struggle? And is, and is it, something that libertarians like i've not i've always like i've had that view and then found that there is a lot of hostility especially toward us socialists and communists from libertarians and so that can be difficult because i'm open about that and i think that if people are serious and they should be able to talk to anybody who's on their side on anything but um Nonetheless, it's a difficult question. It's a difficult thing to navigate. I see E, I see, I almost said E live, but I see L here. So I'm going to let you in um, because I don't see anyone in the queue who wants to respond. So let me uh, make you the next caller and let's close, let's close here. <clears throat> uh, hi, thanks for um, uh, bringing me up. I, I, at, there's been, as you know, quite a few rulings from the Supreme Court this week. But one of mm-hmm. them that hasn't been getting a whole lot of attention is the Supreme Court's ruling on the uh, Miranda law and uh, how I believe they ruled that, um, you know, the, the, the police don't have to actually remind you that you have a Miranda yeah. right. Uh 
<laughs> I think this is a very huge ruling. Uh, what kind of implications do you think this has, you know, uh, moving forward when we're talking about, you know, the justice system? Man, I think <laughs> that's, a good, that's, that's a great question. I mean, it really is just another, it's another win. It's another W for the cops. Uh, I mean, I think it just shows how, much political power the police have. And I think that the implications are going to be that, and this has been a trend. Of course, we know that this has been a trend that the police have been growing in terms of their political power in the United States. They are kind of their own lobby group, uh, you know, during the whole uprisings, 2020, 2014, lots of conversations about the role of police unions. Arguably that's been a problem for decades and decades especially during the Black Liberation Movement and the liberation movements of the 50s, 60s, 70s. Police unions have played an absolutely disastrous role in keeping political prisoners behind the walls. I mean, uh, they are a military arm of the state, and and they're certainly much more equipped to act like it and to, to enforce uh, their political will. And I think this is another opportunity for them to do that. I mean... It's a it's it's sort of rolling back the few rights that people do have, right? You do have some rights when it comes to your interactions with the police, but there was a huge backlash, the huge backlash to the uprisings of 2014, 2020, the protests, the Black Lives Matter umbrella protests, we could call them, huge backlash to that. And I think this is one byproduct of that, and it's going to have consequences in ways that we may not see right away because this ruling on the Miranda rights, I mean, as some of you may know, this is something that happens at a very micro, if we want to use that term, level. It happens at the level of when you are uh, being apprehended by the police. And and that's something that, of course, we have more capacity to see and to criticize and, and be skeptical about and critical about, especially since... George Floyd's murder was on camera and everyone saw the videos, or at least most people saw the videos. And and so um, I think this is a backlash to that. And and so it's going to make the struggle against racist policing, repressive policing, uh, state violence from the police. It's going to make it more difficult. Um, But at the same time, it's another opportunity to uh, to really highlight the role of the police and to to keep that struggle going because um, it's been it's been beaten back a lot. It's been beaten back a lot. Um, so um, I am going to. So I see Fahim now uh, in the queue. Let me make you the next caller. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. This will be the last call, but Fahim, go ahead. Hey, Danny, uh, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, I have a uh, couple of uh, questions. So when, with regards to libertarians being anti-war, I find it confusing in the sense of, like, is it something that is even sustainable? The reason why I ask is, I mean, like folks, like for example, like Scott Horton and all. I mean, uh, bless his heart and all. The guy has been uh, amazing on anti-war uh, issues, uh, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, you guys are capitalists at the end of the day, and capitalism has been maintained by using some kind of a force and eventually military force so i i at least in my little mind i just uh don't uh i have a hard time on uh understanding of like okay you say you're uh against war but at the same time the system that you are uh um uh, uh tooting uh, uh up and down the wazoo that's uh, a very violent system so i find that a bit uh, like uh, 
confusing. And the other thing is, um, you know, like uh, Marx mentioned uh, or imagined that when socialism would come, it would come in a uh, in the realm of freedom, not in the realm of necessity. But throughout uh, history, I mean, socialism, uh, the countries that, um, like from Soviet Union to China and so on and uh, Vietnam and all, it all happened in the realm of uh, necessity as opposed to realm of uh, freedom. And I, and this is just my gut instinct, and all, I find it hard where I can, uh, I would see a, uh, the countries like the U.S. and all moving to a socialist direction uh, till people are really hurting bad. I just have a hard time thinking of like, okay, uh, uh, of, of things moving because I still feel that there's this thing uh, uh, ingrained in a lot of uh, folks that, uh, or maybe it's a lack of confidence. I don't know what it is that uh, is still protective of what we, uh, what in, uh, the system is in the U.S. So anyways, just wanted to share that with you. And I just wanted to hear your uh, thoughts. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's, those are good points. I mean, on the libertarian issue, I mean, if it's my, from my experience and my opinion about the anti-war orientation of libertarians, libertarianism is that it tends to be very selective. So, like, I mean, I, funny story, I went to China with a good number of libertarians and I found their, um, orientation to China to be very much rooted in, yellow peril orientalism and and racism and they had a lot of baggage around that i mean so much so that it was kind of embarrassing to be in 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 the same group as them to be honest um but that's a whole nother story that if you want more deets on that i would have to do that privately but uh, nonetheless I find their anti-war politics, if we can even call it that, because I don't know if libertarianism can be said to be anti. I've seen, I mean, I've worked with anti with libertarians in anti-war spaces because they've, especially around the war on Syria, there was some more interest in that war than maybe in the past. And I, I think what I always find to be interesting is how partisan politics plays a huge part in this because the vast majority i'm not gonna say all of them but i would say that the vast majority of people who identify as libertarians whether they break from the duopoly or not usually come from or whether they have ever identified with the duopoly or not usually come from some kind of republican background republican party background and they're very heavily influenced by the politics of the republican party maybe it may be unfashionable to say but it is true and so that's been my experience and so there you have selective anti maybe anti-interventionist uh ideas thoughts uh for example, opposing Democrats when opposing wars under Democrats, but being much more either amenable or silent about wars of aggression under Republicans. I'm not going to say this is everybody, but this has been my experience. So I think that there is, I guess, a strand of libertarianism which has been anti-interventionist I think mainly because the interventionism is not happening under a a Republican. But then there are some, especially of the Ron Paul libertarian elements. While I don't agree with them on social issues, and while I think that their overall orientation toward capitalism and imperialism is incorrect, I would say that they are a bit more consistent. Like They would definitely oppose Bush's wars too, and did have uh, some history, you know, some relationship to, uh, to that kind of opposition. But in the main, I feel like libertarianism, because it's, it's overall, because of the, first of all, just the social and economic background of a lot of libertarians tend to be in business, tend to be in 
uh, at least in the leadership, I'm not going to say everybody, because I know I'm sure they're working class libertarians too. But if we're talking about those who are vocal, those who have voices, those who are active, those who are, like, the leadership tend to be in business. They tend to have Republican Party backgrounds. They tend to be very influenced still by duopoly, duopoly politics. And uh, with that, you know, it's quite easy to see how a lot of their stances on issues um, like privatization, like Roe v, like, like abortion rights, et cetera, et cetera, um, tend to be very reactionary. They tend to be very much aligned with capital. And so it's something that we're going to have to deal with. But I definitely appreciate the question um, because libertarianism certainly is something we are dealing with right now. It's certainly growing as an ideology. It certainly has strength because of its ability to navigate and sift through the very moribund and uh, stagnant political conditions in the United States, uh, the crisis, you could say, politically of the United States, especially when there is no left, when the left has been so diminished and weakened, it's easy for variants of the right. And that's what libertarianism is. Let's not get it twisted. Uh, whether we want to denigrate that as uh, 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 derogatory or not, some people would not find that offensive. Some people would find that offensive to say it's a derivative of uh, right-wing politics, but uh, its history and its overall orientation um it's hard for me to imagine any other kind of description for libertarianism, but that's just me. And certainly this doesn't preclude any kind of work together on issues. If there's, if there's seriousness behind it, because it can't just be, Oh, we both agree on the same things. It also has to be, okay, if we agree on X issue, let's say, I don't know. Um, ending U.S. interference in Ukraine, right? If we agree on that, cutting back the military budget, if we agree on that, then are we serious about the actions that are needed to get there? Are, are, are we going to, sh- are you going to show up? Are we going to um, stand together when it's necessary? Are we going to, uh, you know, agree on the same tactics, same strategy to get there? That's a whole nother question entirely. But anyway, I have gone over. I'm close to the hour now. I appreciate everyone calling in. Unfortunately, I don't have time to take any more responses. Um, it was a great uh, a great podcast today. Thanks, everyone, for coming out. Make sure, if you have not yet, make sure that you're subscribing or following this podcast. Uh, make So make sure you're doing that. Um, I'm about $30 away from a goal of mine on Patreon. So, you know, the link is in the description of my bio. So for the year, so if you're able to sustain this work, please do, uh, through there. Um, so that's very much appreciated. And, um, I'll try to be back on tomorrow. I have Richard Wolf on tomorrow on the left lens interview at 4 PM Eastern time, June 27th. That's tomorrow. So you want to be there to get his analysis. I'm going to ask him about this panic that's happening, this this prediction of an economic crisis, what he thinks, what's happening with inflation, all of that. We're good. Hopefully we'll get into Ukraine and China. I'm hoping to get into China because I've been enjoying his work on that uh, to, a, to, a, to a significant degree. So... Richard Wolf on tomorrow, 4 p.m. Eastern time, the left lens, and you support this work on Patreon, and uh, I'll try to be on here tomorrow as well. So uh, information also about the the timing of this podcast. So I was doing 11.30 a.m. every Sunday. Now you just want to keep out for the updates. I know it's annoying, but generally this has been working out better when I'm able to align it with a stream that I'm doing. Um, and generally, I've noticed also that Sunday mornings have not been the best time. So I'm doing a little bit of experimentation right now. So bear with me. I know it can be annoying to not know exactly when this is coming on. Uh, but I am doing some experimenting. Hopefully, we'll get a consistent time soon. But it's been working to do this after the stream. So just keep a lookout. If you can't make it, you can always listen to it later. 
Uh, it's available here on um, here on Colin. And then, of course, if you look at my profile, my host profile, so the Danny Haifong profile, you can see that, uh, or maybe it's on the Cold War Brew. Look, look at both pages, and you can see that it's also available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So if you miss it, happen to miss it, you can listen to it there. But I would encourage you to listen on the app because this app is trying to grow. And um, I'm also, you know, this is growing, I think. And so views are uh, getting less and less as people are uh, flooded with podcast options. So so be sure to view it here um, as well. And um, yeah, I look forward to seeing you all again. Hopefully tomorrow I'll let you all know through the updates here uh, if I'm going to be able to go live tomorrow after my 4 p.m. conversation with Richard Wolf on the left lens on YouTube. And then, um, yeah, I'll probably be uh, uh, taking a bit of a break for the week and coming back next weekend. All right. Uh, maybe I'll do a special uh, uh, pre-July 4th podcast and we can um, talk about that. You know, I've been meaning to have on Q, you know, Q, Anthony um, of uh, Unredacted, the podcast. He um, he got me on here, so he is going to be my first guest. I just have to get around to organizing myself to make sure that um, I can get a guest on here. I haven't done it yet, but then you know I'll be going through some guests hopefully as well on this because I like having a conversation. Um, and I, I don't always like to be the only person talking. Um, so I really appreciate all the call-ins, everyone. Good to be with all of you. Uh, take care. Good night. And uh, I'll hopefully see you tomorrow um, after Rick, Rick Wolf's interview. Bye-bye.